You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. We are in the book of Hebrews, but in the midst of being in the middle of writing that sermon, uh, after in the midst of a lot of prayer and a lot of discernment, the Lord told me to preach something else this morning. So that's what I'm going to do, and it's out of Philippians chapter 4, and before I say more about that, let's just hear some scripture. Let's hear some words that I think are very timely for us right now. From Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes these words, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, request, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Apostle Paul wrote these words near the end of his imprisonment in Rome in AD 61 or AD 62. And Philippi, the community to whom he was writing, was a congregation, if you don't remember this, that Paul established during his second missionary journey after spending about three months in that city. In fact, Paul's work in Philippi was the start of sharing the gospel in Europe. Paul ended up here as a result of a vision he had from the Holy Spirit calling him to bring the good news about Jesus Christ to Macedonia. And based upon what we read in the book of Acts, the church at Philippi consisted of a wide array of different types of people. Its founding members were Lydia, an affluent and successful businesswoman who opened her very home to Paul and to the gospel. An unnamed girl that Christ, through Paul, set free from slavery both to a demonic spirit and to some opportunistic men. And the local jailer of Philippi, who nearly killed himself after a miraculous earthquake broke open the prison he managed. Quite the cast of characters. Now, the Apostle Paul did not write this letter or these particular words that we're looking at this morning in response to any sort of trouble or conflict. Paul wrote these words to encourage and to express his appreciation for the believers in Philippi. Nonetheless, Paul's words here have been and have remained on my mind and on my heart all this week as we are facing this current international crisis with COVID-19, otherwise known as the coronavirus. As the outbreak of this virus continues to spread, and now has been classified as both a national, a regional state of emergency, as the information and the reactions and the guidance that we're being given seem to change not just daily, 
but hourly, I believe that Paul's counsel can offer us needed wisdom and encouragement. One of the strongest words we receive here are Paul telling us not to be anxious about anything. Paul is saying in his own words something we hear over and over and over again in Scripture from the mouth of Jesus himself. It's this, do not be afraid. The call not to fear is in many ways the starting point of the gospel, of not just receiving the good news, but in terms of actually living it. Do not fear. Do not fear is the first word spoken by the angels as the New Testament opens and the story of the coming of Christ begins. Again and again, the Bible assures us that panic and fear are not from God. What God extends to us and therefore calls us to have are peace and hope. Jesus tells us outright, that's what he's come to give us, peace. My peace I give you, Jesus says. Jesus assures us if we believe, if we keep our eyes on him, if we follow his lead, we can not only have peace, but we can have hope. And Paul affirms here, this peace will be ours when we turn towards and not away from God. I want to be clear. A certain level of anxiety in the face of a threat or a menace is normal. It's part of what it means to be human. But at the same time, our lives, especially as believers, are not to be ruled by fear or panic. By confusing and frightening us, anxiety and panic lead us away from God. They isolate us and leave us trapped inside our own heads. But Paul encourages us here to submit our concerns, to submit our worries. And as we do submit our concerns and our worries and our fears to the Lord, rather than let them run wild inside of us, all of our anxiety will be replaced by God's peace. And the peace of God we find in Christ will then guard our hearts and our minds. In fact, as you heard it, as it starts here in the face of anxiety, Paul tells us to rejoice. It's a command he repeats twice. And you might ask, how are we to rejoice in the midst of any fear or worry? Paul says we are to rejoice in the Lord. We are to rejoice in knowing the Lord is near. Recently, in the midst of all this, I, I read the following definition of anxiety. And it was this, anxiety is imagining the future without Jesus in it. When we realize that Jesus is with us and for us, that these are more than just words, but that through the word and the spirit, Christ is present with us and working among us today, and that Christ will be just as present and working tomorrow, we can be set free from worry and fear. Beloved, in the midst of the isolation we may feel, in the midst of the social distancing and the possibility of becoming infected, let us trust that God is with us. Hear the word of the Lord today. The Lord is with you even if we do not become infected, but perhaps know of people in our lives who become sick and God forbid, maybe even die. Let us have no doubts. Christ 
is with us. Jesus intimately understands the anxiety and suffering that disease can cause us. During his public ministry, Jesus spent much of his time with those who were sick, many of whom were, who were considered infectious. And this was the time before the age of modern medicine, when the risk of almost any infection could take one's life. Jesus knows what we're going through, what we're facing. Jesus hasn't just been there. Jesus is here with us today. But again, Jesus being here with us offers us so much more than solidarity. Solidarity is great to know that Jesus is with us and for us, but the risen Christ extends more to us than solidarity. The risen Christ extends to us advocacy. Jesus offers us hope that sets us free from all worry and fear because our hope, our distinctive hope as Christians, our ultimate confidence is rooted in our faith that the same God who created and sustained all life came down in Jesus Christ and through his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead has both redeemed and is renewing this world and all creation. Therefore, I'm gonna say it again with Paul. We don't need to be afraid of anything. We have been rescued from fear. Even when we are on our own deathbed, whenever that time may come, there is truly, as we confess through the creed of conviction, there is truly nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Together we look to the light of Christ that is greater than any darkness we face. Jesus is the light in this world that no darkness can overcome. So in the call not to fear, let us not lend credence to lies or rumors. Let us not give in to panic or become mongerers of fear. Let us not be afraid. Let us not be anxious about anything. Trusting and following Jesus, let us instead walk by faith. Now, as I say that, many of you, that's a word you need to hear, but a word you also need to hear, others of us, is that the call not to fear does not mean, however, that we should not remain concerned about what is happening all around us. As a nation and as a part of this world, there is a high probability that we will experience serious repercussions because of COVID-19 that go beyond whether or not we become infected with the virus. If the number of cases of infection increase in this country at the level that we're seeing in countries like Italy, our local hospitals and our healthcare systems will be overwhelmed to the point that not only the infected, but those seeking care for other high-priority medical emergencies and accidents may not be able to get the best care possible or any life-saving care at all. That's a reality, a possibility that could be a reality. Many in our wider community will likely experience financial hardship because of all the downturns in industry, particularly in travel and other service-related businesses. We should also consider that the recent school closings will mean that children who are homeless or who are from working poor families will be missing lunch, possibly their only reliable meal each day. Not panicking does not mean we should not exercise caution 
Whereas panicking is avoiding and denying reality, faith is acting rationally. Proverbs 23, 22, verse 3. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Exercising prudence in the face of danger is biblical wisdom. Using our common sense and logic is not the absence of faith, but rather exercises the God-given gifts that we have. It's operating the way that God has designed us to function in his image. What I'm saying to you is that it is possible for us to respond to a crisis seriously and deliberately while holding on to that inner sense of peace and hope that the Lord gives to us. We must not be cavalier about the dangers we're facing. We should not ignore the sound advice of medical professionals and public health experts, regardless of what is posted on social media. Paul beckons us here to think about what is true, what is honorable, what is right and pure, what is admirable and praiseworthy, that which gives glory to God. And brothers and sisters, it does not glorify God to needly put others at risk. It does not glorify God to needlessly put others at risk just because we don't see what all the fuss is about or because we balk at having our privileges, the privileges of our freedom, temporarily curtailed. Our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to care for the least of these for those who are vulnerable, exposed, and in need. Even though this particular virus does not appear to pose much more of a threat to those who are young and healthy than the ordinary seasonal flu, we know for a certainty that COVID-19 puts those of any age with compromised immune systems and those over 70 years of age at great risk. Their lives are literally on the line. Our love and concern cannot be first for ourselves, but for them, protecting those most at risk by limiting the spread of the disease. Many things have been canceled because of the coronavirus. Love for our neighbor is not one of them. While the government at all levels and other healthcare agencies can enforce a certain amount of behavioral change through travel restrictions, closures, and quarantines, love and service to others cannot be coerced or regulated. We glorify God by being good examples of disease management, by loving and serving others, by sacrificing our freedoms for their health and safety. We not only think, but we practice what is true, what is honorable, what is right and pure, what is admirable and praiseworthy when we speak, when we live, and when we make decisions in such a way that allow everyone in our circle of influence to flourish, especially the vulnerable. I would encourage us, instead of speaking of social distancing, to talk instead of social solidarity, not of withdrawing in fear, but respecting appropriate boundaries as our way of standing with others, family, friends, coworkers, strangers who cannot otherwise protect themselves without our help. Now, given what I've just expressed, many of us may be wondering either on the live stream or here in person why we're here today. Other churches canceled 
their in-person worship services, so why didn't we? Is worshiping together like this in person, given what I've just said, an unnecessary risk? I want you to know that as your pastor, this is a question I continue to prayerfully wrestle with. It's a question that I, along with the elders of this church, will be discussing this week and seeking to resolve together through the leading of the word and the spirit. In that, we covet your prayers and your support. But for now, allow me to briefly offer this. I am convinced that physically being together like this as the body of Christ is more critical, is more vital than perhaps at any other time. Gathering with others who know us by name, immersing ourselves in God's word, lifting our voices as one in song and prayer, coming to the table and being reminded, tasting and seeing the hope and the peace we have in Christ, what we call worship is not just something we do on a Sunday. These practices, this rhythm of being and resting in the presence of Jesus is the very source of our life and our flourishing together. Without this, all we have is what's out there. And as we've already witnessed this past week, much of what is out there is nonstop panic and fear-mongering. Skepticism and ridicule, rumor and criticism, all of that can only really be silenced in here. Not letting our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions be formed and shaped by all of that can only be counteracted by gathering together in submission to each other and to Christ. Ironically, the words from the letter to, he the, letter to the Hebrews that we're studying keep coming to mind. And, and mind you, the words that are going to come up on the screen are not words we've even looked at yet. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as in the, is, is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Don't misunderstand me. I recognize we as the church are more than a building. I acknowledge that the spiritual reality of the body of Christ transcends space and time. I also know that we are blessed to live in an age of incredible resources like the internet and live streaming that can be accessed on one's phone, TV, or computer. I know all of it. I believe it. I just wonder if we choose to gather virtually, even for a couple of weeks, will any of us actually show up? Will we be paying attention and fully engaging in worship together? Or will we be multitasking even as we in that moment are supposed to be singularly devoted to Christ? Will we fast forward through the part of the service that we don't like? <laughs> keeping it real, people, just keeping it real. <laughs> more than this, more than all of this, more than all of this, I remain concerned that it is not good for people to be alone. Just because we're all tapped into the live stream doesn't mean that we're all together. Many of us, many of us here, myself included, have our own family households. 
But others among us have no real family alive or in this area other than this community of grace. For them, coming together once a week on a Sunday is precious and life-giving in a way many of us who do not live alone take for granted. If we stop meeting together, what are these next few weeks going to be like for them? As the pastor of this community, I do not want anyone to feel more isolated or worse abandoned at this time. As much as I remain concerned about the physical risk of an epidemic, I am equally focused on attending to the mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being of everyone. But what we decide to do moving forward is not my decision. Thank God. I am blessed. Man, now more than ever, I want to say this out loud. I am blessed to share the mantle of leadership for this community with a gifted and brilliant staff, as well as a team of thoughtful, wise, and compassionate elders. Please know that the final decisions we make will be based upon a balance between appropriate caution and biblical courage. And I humbly ask you now to support and come alongside our staff and our elders in bearing this responsibility. Please, please trust that we are seeking the best ways to love both our community and our surrounding neighborhood. And if the decision is made, and I'm not saying it has been, but if the decision is made that we will not just be live streaming, but that we will continue to gather in person for Sunday worship, I want to make it crystal clear right here and right now that we will respect and support anyone who decides to stay at home with their family or to self-quarantine for any reason. Each of us must do what we believe is right according to our conscience and needs. In this regard, I just continue to ask you to look for communication of the decisions that are going to be made over the next few days and any needed changes that may come up because things are changing all the time. Look for those updates on social media, on our Facebook page. Look for them through email. Look for them through going to our website, www.gracehb.org. Those are the places where we're trying to give you the information as it comes. You know, Paul's last words in this passage from Philippians really hit home to me as well. They're up on the screen. Paul says in in this passage, the last part of this passage, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And knowing Paul like we do from the book of Acts and all of his letters, we know that everything the Philippians learned or received or heard or saw in Paul was simply this, living like Jesus. What Paul is asking them to put into practice here is being Christ to others. And that's a good word for us too. Something to keep in mind is that at the time these words were written by Paul, the Roman world was full of plagues. Epidemics regularly decimated cities and regions. Though the people living at this time in history did not grasp how diseases were transferred the way that we do now, they knew enough to flee cities if they had the means to do so. But here's the thing. 
The first and second generations of Christians in those same cities did not flee the plagues. They stayed and they served. Many scholars have argued that it was this commitment to courage of acting in love and following Jesus by offering compassion and care to the infected and the dying that was one of the major reasons the body of Christ grew, both in size and in number. My friends, in this moment of global crisis, now is the time for us to stop talking about what we believe and to live out our faith, not in theory, but in practice. As followers of Jesus, like all the faithful saints who have gone before us, let us reflect the light of Christ to a weary, to a broken, to a frightened world. Let us be the church doing whatever we can to practically help others, especially the elderly, the disabled, the vulnerable, and the isolated. Let us take the necessary precautions and not be reckless in spreading the disease, but let us also not forget or forsake our fundamental witness for Christ in helping and serving others. Jesus said, I was sick and you came to visit me, and when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Reach out. Reach out to our members, friends and neighbors who are elderly, who are immune compromised and offer to share or to procure needed food, medicine or other, other grocery items that they otherwise can't access. I mean, many, I don't know if you've been out there, but many in this group of people that I just talked about are finding themselves overwhelmed by the crowds and the lines at stores and therefore have been unable to stock up on basic needs like the rest of us. During the next few weeks, again, taking the necessary precautions, I'm asking you, offer to shop or to run errands for them and leave the things they need on their doorstep. Check in on them, especially if they live alone and make sure they know they are not alone, that Jesus is for and with them through you. And if you can't do it and you need help, I'm asking you now to call our church office and we will do what we can to rally those in our community who can. Now is the time for us to be the church. My friends, when the curve flattens and the pandemic known as COVID-19 has passed, what will our neighbors remember of us as the body of Christ? Will they remember our love and compassion as ambassadors for Christ and his kingdom? Or will they remember that we ran away in fear, hoarding more goods than we need for ourselves, retreating into protective huddles, cutting ourselves off from those around us? Or will they remember that we courageously reached out, looking not just to our own needs, but caring and serving the needs of others, willingly sharing what we ourselves have not earned or bought on our own, but have been given by the grace of God? Will they remember that we truly loved our neighbor as ourselves? Will they remember us blaming others and promoting a spirit of cynicism and doubt? Or will they recall us affirming and encouraging one another, praying not just for others, but praying with others, spreading our confidence in Christ, faith, hope, and love in our city for such a time as this? Will they remember that having 
endured, ensured safety in all the ways we could, that we still gathered for worship and praised God together week after week, looking to the cross, celebrating the resurrection, that even as we ceased doing the inessential things, we made clear that serving and worshiping God was the greatest and most essential task of our lives. Beloved, hear me. It's what those around us remember in the aftermath of all this. It's what they did or did not experience and receive from him through us in the name of Jesus that will either lead them to Christ or away from him. So now is not the time to simply be asking how to stay alive. For, who we, for those who are in Christ, for those in whom the spirit dwells, now is the time to be asking, what are we living for? Who are we living for? And for those of you who are just chomping at the bit because of all of this restriction that we have to be more homebound, I get it. But you know what? Having all our busyness and mobility limited can be an opportunity if we choose to embrace it as such. For those of us, and you know who you are, who don't know how to stop, who just can't help ourselves and keep going and doing and doing and doing and doing, this is an opportunity for Sabbath. To just learn and enjoy the practice and the beauty of being still and knowing the Lord is God. Being homebound, we now have the gift of time. And so many of us, we, tr we don't recognize the gift of time we have. Being homebound, we now have the gift of time to pursue, pursue conversations that we have taken for granted. Conversations often with the people who live under our very same roof, who are every day right in front of us. Now is the time to be having conversations not in passing, on your way to work or going somewhere else, but to get real, to get open and to get honest. And that may be awkward, that may be scary. Maybe you haven't done that in a couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of years. But now is the time to have real conversations about real things, to not just talk about love and faith and hope and all of these other things that Christ gives to us, but to articulate them, to speak them into each other's lives, even from a distance, thanks to the gift of technology and social media, even from a distance, now is the time for us to make better connections with family or friends we've neglected. So I'm caught telling you, text, Email, write a handwritten letter or card, pick up the phone, talk to someone you love, especially if you know they are physically alone right now. This is an opportunity as much as it is a challenge. And I look out at this body, I look out at this group, and I look out at those who I cannot see but are watching on the live stream, and I know that we can rise to this challenge. I know we can rise to this challenge because God is greater than all of this. And this God is at work in and through you and me. So beloved, let us have ears to hear. Let us have eyes to see what is already beginning to happen above and beyond the horizon of COVID-19. If all you've been paying attention to is the fear and the panic, I would invite you to start paying attention to something else that you can also access. You may have to look a little bit harder for it. We may have to talk it up. And it's this, globally, churches around the world are beginning to pray, are beginning to give, and are beginning to serve their communities like they haven't done in a long, long time. 
City to city, nation to nation, the Lord is mobilizing his people to be his hands and feet and drawing them closer together like never before. This is our reason for hope. This is the basis of peace in the midst of anxiety. This is the opportunity that we have in the midst of the challenge that is before us. Beloved, we are all children of our heavenly father. We are all friends of Jesus. We are all grateful recipients of the Holy Spirit. We together look to a God who we can trust to make up for whatever is lacking in our imperfect hearts, minds, and bodies. We have been given spiritual power and authority rooted in perfect love that casts out fear and faith that can move mountains. Therefore, let us then move forward together in acting justly, in loving mercy, and in walking humbly before our God for the sake of all of our brothers and sisters across the street, around the block, and even on the other side of the world. Amen.